This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking at uh, verses 1 through 3 today. Um, before I begin, I have a little story to tell. I... Um, a little bit less than a year ago, I went to the doctor, and uh, I had uh, some blood tests taken, and it came back, and I found that I had dangerously high cholesterol. Uh, my triglycerides were over 500. So my doctor told me I was going to have to make some changes. I got on some medicine, and uh, I had to start changing my diet. Um, I, uh, I'm the kind of guy who, who loves bacon, of course. Uh, my dad raises hogs, uh, got a freezer full of pork, um, and uh, I had to change my appetite. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm... I, I, Sausage, you know, I, I would get up every morning and, and make myself some sausage, and I just couldn't do that anymore. I, instead, I had to put off that old craving and put on a new craving. Okay, I, uh, um, it was the time of the year when peaches were, uh, were fresh and, and tasty, and so I, instead of craving that bacon, I had to crave after peaches. I've talked about peaches before. Oh, they're so good. Uh, but um, I also craved after things like cucumber and tomato sa- uh, salads. I don't know if anybody's had those before, but I, I really, boy, those, those were good. But I had to change my appetite. I had to cra- crave after something new instead of craving after the old and the familiar. That's similar to what our text talks about today. We'll go ahead and read our text um, from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and, sland- and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you might grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word brings life. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray that you would give us a craving for your word. And Lord, that you would help us to put off destructive habits and tendencies. Father, give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Here, well, let's remember where we are uh, in this book. I've been, whenever I've been with you, I've been going through 1 Peter. Maybe not everybody's been here for all of it. Uh, But Peter is writing to a suffering church. They are living in the midst of a hostile world. 
But in the midst of this hostile world, Peter has told them that to live as strangers and aliens. Um, but he's given them a background. He lets them know, you've been born again. Believers, if you've trusted in Christ, if He's changed your life, you've been born again to a living hope. You've got a hope to look forward to that will never pass away. Amen? Amen. We've got great things to praise Him for. He holds us in His hands and will never let us go. And He's called us on the basis of what He's done for us in Christ. He's called us to live holy lives. He's called us to to live in the fear of Him. He's called us to love one another. And the last time I was with you, about a month ago, we looked at that. We got to love one another. So what does this have to do with what we looked at last time? He says, so put away, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. I think that all of these things he's telling us to put off, these things that he's telling us to put off that characterize the old man, the old person we used to be before Christ, those are all things that are obstacles, impediments to our love for one another. If our life is characterized by malice, how can we love one another? Having ill feeling towards one another. We've got to put that off if we're going to love one another. Deceit. Why would we be deceitful? Maybe we're trying to keep from getting caught in something. But if we're loving one another, we should do what James says and confess our sins to one another. We ought to live an open and transparent life among one another. Loving one another. If we love one another, there's no need for deceit. There's no need to hide behind a mask. But we can love one another despite our flaws and our foibles. Hypocrisy goes along there with deceit, doesn't it? Jesus said so much about hypocrisy. We, we don't want to be the kind of people who put on a face, who say we're one thing, but we have a secret and hidden life. Or we don't want to be the kind of people who say, who have a high standard and, and, and say everybody has to live up to this, but then we don't even live up to it ourselves. Those kinds of things destroy the love that we have for one another. If you're the kind of person who has that hypocrisy where you have a high standard for everybody else, but you're not living up to it, it destroys other people's love for you too, because they see right through it. Don't they? They see through it and they say, well, I don't want to be like that person, that hypocrite over there. These things destroy our love for one another. Envy. I want what that person has over there. Again, it destroys our love for one another. And slander. Oh, this just destroys a church, doesn't it? Slander and gossip. Those things that we say when... And sometimes the, the flesh within us makes it feel good to do that, doesn't it? It makes us feel like I'm in the know. I know I'm up to date. I know what all's going on. And we, we might feel a sense of pride because I know something that other people don't know. I'm in the know. And we slander. 
Peter here tells us if we're going to live a life in this hostile world, if we're going to be able to love one another, we've got to put away all that kind of stuff. And he's talking to believers here. The fact that he's telling believers we've got to put off those things, I think means that sometimes those are things we're tempted to do. Sometimes those things are are, are things that, that even as believers in our flesh, they still cling to us and we've got to put them off. It's an active thing. We've got to actively work. And when we recognize, hey, I don't... I see that in myself and I don't like it. We've got to repent of it and turn away from it. We put off those things because they destroy our love for one another. And in, in contrast, you know, we can't just be neutral. In, instead of just putting that off, we've got to put something new on. We've got to put on a new craving. Here, the craving that draws that that uh, pushes out that craving for sinful behaviors that destroy our love for one another. The craving is we're to be like newborn infants, longing after this pure spiritual milk. You can imagine the picture there. In another place, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews. Um, says that the believers there should have been able to move on beyond milk, right? Because uh, they should now be eating solid food. This is not the way that Peter's using this illustration, this, this imagery. Instead, Peter is using this saying it's a positive thing to be like a newborn baby. The picture here is a newborn baby, you don't have to tell it, hey, you need some milk now. No, they know. They, as soon as they're born, they, they crave after it. They want it. They're crying. They're desperately wanting milk. And he's saying, as believers, instead of a craving for the destructive things like malice, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all of those things, instead of the craving for those things, We're to crave after something new. We're to crave after the pure spiritual milk. What is this pure spiritual milk? The word there, spiritual, um, it is not used very many times in the New Testament. It is not the word for spirit. Um, It is actually... um, it's only a couple of times that, that that adjective there is used in the New Testament. Another place that we see it uh, is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where we're told you know, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual act of worship or our reasonable service. And the word there uh, is actually the adjective form I'm getting all grammar here. <laughs> I'm a grammar nerd, by the way. Um, it's the adjective form for a word that we might be familiar with, logos. Logos is the word. You know, the word was with God, and the word was made everything that was made. The word for word <laughs> is logos. This adjective here is logicon. They sound similar. You can, you can tell that. And so, 
the King James translated that long for the pure spirit, the, the pure milk of the word. Um, so what does it mean to long after this pure spiritual milk? I, I think the, the older translation actually kind of is on to something, giving us a hint of what this means. We ought to crave for the Bible, the word. God has spoken to us. He's given us His Word. And in the Bible, it, it has light. It is, a, it, is, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, and, and we ought to do what that passage says and, and hide it in our heart. We ought to crave after the milk of the Word. And when we crave after the milk of the Word, we're going to study it. We're going to to memorize it. We're going to meditate on it. We we want to get the Word of God into us when we crave after it, when we long after it. Do you want to have victory over sin in your life? No, there's a lot of different factors that go into that, but one thing we can do is long after the Word. Long after the Word. The more we get into the Word, the more hungry we are, and yet at the same time, the more satisfied we are. We long for that pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That is how we grow as Christians. That's how we become more mature. An immature Christian has more tendency to be tempted towards these other things like malice, like envy, like hypocrisy, like deceit and slander. All of those things, that, those are signs of immaturity in the life of a believer. But it is through getting to know the Word, studying the Word, hearing the preaching of the Word that we grow in our faith, that we become mature in the faith and we grow up into salvation. Then he says, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's a condition there. If if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I believe that this is not possible unless we have tasted that the Lord is good. We can't put off all of those things and crave after the Word unless we've really tasted that the Lord is good. We can't do it. We don't have the power in ourselves because we're sinners. We're broken. And unless there is an inward change in our hearts that comes from the new birth, from being born again, from having our sins washed clean by the blood of Jesus, we can't do it. How do we taste? How, let me ask this question. Can you describe to someone who's never tasted a nice, juicy peach how it tastes? 
What, what, what words would you use to describe how something tastes? It'd be very difficult, wouldn't it? How do you describe? In order to know what something tastes like, you've got to taste it, right? And if another person has tasted the same thing, you can talk together about, oh yeah, that's really good, right? Or, oh man, that's not good, <laughs> right? Liver? Actually, I like liver. Another thing I had to give up. Why does he say we've got to taste and see that the Lord is good? Because it's not good enough just to know in our head. It's not, just, it's not good enough just to be able to write a, a treatise on it. You've got to experience it. You've got to taste it. You've got to have firsthand knowledge. It's not enough just to grow up even in church and hear all the stories and have it never affect your life. If you've tasted it, then you know what I mean. If you've tasted it, it's because you've been born again. If you've tasted it, it's because you've thrown yourself on Christ and said, I can't do it myself. And He's come in. And He's changed you and made you something you never thought you could ever be. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this brings us to the question, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Believers, those of you who are are Christians, um, and there's an assumption here, we're gathered together as a church, that most of the congregation here would be believers. But oftentimes... Like I said, a person can grow up in church and and be here at all the meetings and and have never really tasted it themselves. But believers, this text that we've been looking at today is telling us if we want to grow in maturity, we put off those old behaviors that are destructive like that he's talking about. And we long for the pure spiritual milk to grow. But have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you... Do you have first-hand knowledge? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you trusted in Christ to forgive you and pardon you? Isaiah 55 that I read from earlier is such a beautiful text. He tells us, Come, you who are thirsty. The only Necessary requirement to come to Jesus is to be thirsty, to be weak, to have empty hands. And He invites us to come to Him, to come to the waters of life. If we have no money, if we're broke, to come and buy and eat. How do we buy something if we don't have money? We come to Him with empty hands. We come to Him thirsty and broken. We come to Him and we throw ourselves on Him. And He is satisfying. He fills us up. And if you do that, you can taste 
and see that the Lord is good. So I'll close just asking the question one more time. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Thank you.